It was a time when pro wrestling was a pop culture phenomenon. Talk about your songs, talk about John 316. Austin 316 says I just whipped your ass. Pay-per-view quality matches live on free TV every Monday night. Monday, July 6th. Back at the battle between WCW Monday Nitro and WWF Monday Night Raw. It's me, Austin! Oh, son of a bitch! What? It's me, Austin! It was me all along, Austin! This is Reliving the War with Simon Tackler and Nims Azul. You can call this the new world order of wrestling, brother! Welcome, everyone, as we march towards the end of 1998 in Reliving the War, live and exclusive on the Grey Wolf Entertainment Network. My name is Nim Sazor, joined as always by my tag team partner, Simon Tackler. Simon, we came off a big high with the WWF November pay-per-view. It unlocked all the nostalgia. And I gotta say, I've had I've had some people actually go and say to me when I've brought up Survivor Series 98, oh yeah, I remember watching that on Channel 10. Like, it really was a very monumental pay-per-view for Australian wrestling fans. Uh, whereas on the flip side, World War III 1998, the equivalent pay-per-view for WCW, I don't know how much nostalgia it would bring back to your average uh, wrestling fan on the street. I will say, though, just at the top of the show, my expectations were so very low that it may throw off my um, my thoughts on this show. I think you and I are both in the same camp here because I remember we were discussing this before and I can't remember if it was on on the pod or maybe off air, but we were talking about like, uh, I think I, I mentioned like, I think Bret Hart made events this and we were like, why would Bret Hart main event this pay <laughs> But um, it turns out it is Bret Hart's first WCW main event, which sounds like a milestone, especially since he's up against DDP, but uh, we'll find out very quickly that it... I don't want to say he's anything but, but it doesn't live up to the hype that it should. But let's get straight into this pay-per-view because it's got it's World War Three. It's not a bad intro video, but it did look like an intro to a video game. Like you know, remember like WWF Attitude and Mayhem when it first came out because they're just showing wrestling, 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 names of wrestlers. That is absolutely spot on. I couldn't pinpoint what I thought it felt like because there was no voiceover. It was just in like weird orange sepia tone. And it was mm-hmm. just shots of wrestlers with names flashing up. That is it. And then at the end of it, it just said World War Three on the screen. Again, no voiceover. So it was like, you know, like when video games could first have videos, but they couldn't figure out how to have clear audio at the same <laughs> time. But you were still wowed by it. And you were like, wow. And then it would say press start. It might have as well have said press start when World War Three <laughs> popped up. Yeah, it almost reminded you of the old acclaimed WWF in your house video games on like yeah. uh on like on um Sony PlayStation and Sega Saturn. But um look, it's a it's a very interesting pay-per-view because if you don't know what World War Three is, if you haven't heard our previous episodes, it's basically WCW's version of a battle royal, the Royal Rumble. Three rings, sixty wrestlers, and one man standing. Simple as that. They took the Royal Rumble concept, times it by three, and there you go. Um, we end. We start off with Goldberg entering. Remember, he is the champ. And the the favorite bit I I love about this is there's a line that um that as Goldberg entering the the voiceover that Tony Schiavone says is so many variables, so many rings. <laughs> well, that's true. He's not wrong there. But what's funny about it? He says it when we see Goldberg. 
Goldberg arrives in a limo to open the show, Cole. We see him pop up a few times throughout the show. I don't want to spoil it just yet. He doesn't even have a match, and he's the world champion. All over the show, doesn't have a match. Yeah. They also mentioned, too, that Hollywood Hogan is not there. So straight out the gate, it's just like... (laughs) so much talk of Hollywood Hulk Hogan isn't here. Hollywood Hulk Hogan. Isn't in the building. Yeah, yeah. He's all over the commentary. Could you believe that Hollywood Hogan isn't here? I (laughs) thought he would be. There's even a part where they debate, like, he should be here because he could get the title. (laughs) Not just that. They mentioned this is the era, for those who don't know, in 1998, Hulk Hogan announced that he was retiring from wrestling and he was going to run for president. (laughs) We're in the midst of that. So, yeah, at certain points, they're like, oh, he's on the campaign trail shouldn't he stop by World War Three and, you know, maybe become number one contender as well? It's just, yeah, ridiculous. It, it is absolutely uh, crazy. So there's a bit of pyro and it's over to the commentators. And then they throw to mean Gene Oakland, who, who and I I applaud them because they're doing their best. He's tipping, I reckon a little guy will be, be will, uh, will beat the big men. And Bobby the Brain is on the hotline. And we haven't had a hotline sort of plug in a while. Was this another contract dispute by Mean Gene? <laughs> this was interesting that they cut to Mean Gene to promo the hotline, and then we don't really see him again. But it mm. opens the show. It's I've I don't know. I'd love Eric Bischoff to explain his thoughts behind opening pro pay per views with just wasting time. We see yeah. Goldberg in a limo. We see the commentators. We see Mean Gene. And it kind of takes you out of the mood after all the pyro and stuff. Yeah. You know, I think I can answer that. Because remember, like, Eric Bischoff famously says when he when he tried to make Nitro, he got a pen and paper and wrote down everything that Monday Night Raw did and then did the opposite of everything to, you know, counter-program. He must have watched WWF papers. Okay, so they start with momentum. Let's slow it down. <laughs> yeah. start, you know. <laughs> oh, they start with an entrance right away. Let's not start for 15 <laughs> minutes. And Let's then, put Mean Gene on. <laughs> yeah, and then what an opening match to start with. Talk about oh. killing momentum. So the first match is Glacier versus Wrath. Now, the Meltdown, still a great name, but the Ice Kick from, <laughs> by, Glacier, by Glacier is not a great name for his finisher. And Mike Tanay is doing his absolute best to put down, like, it's the Meltdown versus the Ice Kick. Yeah. Good try there, Mike, but uh, ain't going to work there. And Glacier is also less Sub-Zero-ish in late 1998. Did you notice? I forgot this era of Glacier where he's no longer a Mortal Kombat character. He's just a guy who's a heel now. Like, he's Mm -hmm. a karate heel. He still wears the blue outfit, but he doesn't have the Sub-Zero type mask. And the snowy entrance. Yeah, he just looks like a gym teacher. That's it. (laughs) Just some guy. Um, This match, look, I will say, Wrath was over. He looked Hugely cool. Over. Crowd liked him, especially in this era. Not only was he over in wrestling, the commentators do point out Mike Tanay mentions that Wrath is going to be in the new Mortal Kombat TV show and has lots of movie offers. <laughs> I did find that amusing too. Could have been the uh, rock. Yes. <laughs> Imagine that. Um, so there's Glacier Sucks chance. Um, and he, he, 
I've noticed too that in this era, it's very much the WCW NWO revenge way of wrestling because he stops and does taunts and things like that too as well, uh, much the chagrin of Wrath. But yeah, you're right. Mike Tanay says that Wrath is in the mix for movies. The world is catching on to Wrath, I believe, is the quote that he says. They really are. I don't know if you bothered to look up his IMDb, Do you, but do you want to know who Wrath went oh, on to play good. in the Mortal Kombat TV show? This would be great. He was the uh, the legendary character, Burly Citizen. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Look for that at DLC in Mortal Kombat 11. <laughs> <laughs> Burly Citizen oh. wins. That's it. <laughs> um, and you're right, though, but I will give you credit. Like I did pretty much shit on Wrath last time we talked about him, but I got to say, there are huge cheers for him. Uh, when he, especially when he chokes Glacier, and <laughs> and all I could say is like, I've just put down the note. Why does the WCW audience hate Glacier so much? There's a part two where Glacier even calls for a timeout. Yeah, and you're right. Why do they hate him? Because when you mentioned uh, Rath was choking Glacier, he wasn't choking him with his hands. He wrapped an electrical cord around <laughs> his neck and uh, was just violently putting, like, pulling on it. There was no reason for it. It wasn't like the comeuppance from the good mm. guy. It was just this good guy trying to murder Glacier and the crowd. They were all for it. They were eating it all up. It's like, yeah, kill Glacier. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe they thought that this, they were just so impressed with his role as burly citizen. <laughs> that, that, um, it's just like, yeah, kill Sub-Zero. Fatality. That was, yeah, that was his fatality. <laughs> the cord, you know, just rips his head off anyway. That was the best um, thing about the match. Pretty much, a meltdown gets the win, and I've just written it's a ho hum match. Like mm. it, it's there. Absolutely, yeah. I wrote exactly what you'd expect. So. <laughs> uh, we move on to our next segment, which is great. It's Brett Brett Hart shit canning wrestlers. <laughs> I honestly love this. It was a promo video. It had like '90s techno behind it. It was <laughs> Brett sitting there casually. And he would just run down the roster. It would even flash their names, which I thought yep. was cool. It was like, Lex Luger, he's just a muscle-bound idiot. He doesn't have any skill in the ring. DDP, he's got so many tattoos. He's a real punk. <laughs> so and the, other, the other one, like, you know, Booker T, he grew up on the street. He belongs in the street. <laughs> but, my, so like, but my, like, but my favorite one was Chris Benoit. So like, I took Chris Benoit under my wing, but then he forgot he was Canadian. <laughs> Honestly, like this feels like the first continuation of 97 Bret Hart in WCW. I, I didn't know he was doing this character. I forgot. I didn't either. If it was just this and we never had to watch him wrestle, I'd actually be happy. And again, this this honestly backs up the point that Bret Hart is underrated as a talker. I think 97, he hit his stride as a heel. And even mm -hmm. this is a good promo. Like I, This is way better than most people you're going to see. I will say though, it's an edited video with lots of fades and cuts, and it makes it feel like the unedited version goes for about three hours. <laughs> yeah, because... it's not a, it, it's not actually a promo. It was one of those rambling videos. And like, all right, guys, I'll see. You. It's like, well, what the hell are we gonna do here? Because <laughs> if you know what Bret Hart, like, you know, because I even wrote here is like, is Bret Hart playing into the parody of himself that he would later become, like with the Goldberg thing? Because it's it, look. If you're going to look anything up, watch this. It's a really good bit of footage. It and is. it is the most entertaining Bret Hart has been in WCW since his debut match with Ric Flair. Mm, it's very, very good. 
Uh, and I'd love to see the outtakes because, yeah, I don't, I don't even know if they meant to turn this into a promo video, but they got something here. Um, next up, it is Stevie Ray versus Conan. And I've written real WCW NWO revenge vibes here or WCW Thunder where everyone was color coded to their faction. Yeah, absolutely. It's black and white versus red and black. But how dare you downplay this match? As uh, as the ring announcer said, this is a special one-fall contest. <laughs> it sure was special. Conan <laughs> versus Stevie Ray. And uh, we won't swear on the podcast, but I wrote Conan, Conan versus Stevie Ray. F me. <laughs> because, yep. Yep. yeah, bottom if, of the if you barrel. Wanna, if you want to talk about how bottom of the barrel it is. So remember, Hollywood Hogan isn't here. Stevie Ray is the leader of the NWO black and white when Hogan's not there. <laughs> He's the enforcer of the NWO. Although in saying that, of course, we have to mention it every time. Jesus Christ, people in 1998 sure loved Conan. I know. He gets a huge, huge pop. He gets a massive pop. It's it's just bizarre how popular <laughs> this Latino, this sort of George Costanza built stuff, <laughs> Latino was so popular back in 1998. Wow. No, other... I can't unsee that. <laughs> but the other thing too is Vincent's out there as well, just to give some star power to the NWO. <laughs> yeah. And he's got the slapjack. <laughs> Yeah, Stevie Ray's slapjack now being wielded by Vincent. <laughs> this is honestly whatever the inverse of a main event scene is. This is the this is that. It's, it's the black hole. That's what it is. <laughs> uh, the best part oh. is so the the commentators re, uh, re, re, reference Bam Bam Bigelow, who was on Nitro uh, recently, and they point out that he's not affiliated with anyone and. and the, the the only interesting part of this is Vincent accidentally slapjacks Stevie Ray <laughs> and takes out Billy Silverman. Yeah, but I don't know what happened at the ending here. But again, the slapjack's the most violent weapon in wrestling. It'll just knock everyone out, whether you mean to or not. Um. So um, the ref calls for the bell as Booker T comes out to check on his brother. Uh, Booker, and this part's actually, this is the most compelling part of the match because Booker's actually showing some genuine concern for his brother. Stevie Ray fends him off and the commentator's like, I can't believe he's picking the NWO over flesh and blood, but all I can focus on is the word slapjack that is on Stevie <laughs> Ray's ass. <laughs> yeah, it was interesting because it was, <laughs> what's good about it? I'm trying to think of other examples because there are some, it'll just take some time to think. But this is one of those rare cases where someone's, weapon and finishing move and gimmick and nickname <laughs> is all the same thing. same thing it's all slapjack you know what i mean <laughs> it's very rare i'm uh, there are definitely other examples out there but the, anyway but, but but stevie ray sits on top of the mountain when it comes <laughs> to he's got them all just one monopoly thing, slapjack I like the idea that he's in the writers' meeting and they're like, so what do you want to call? We'll call it Slapjack. It's like, okay, cool. That's something to build on. Uh, how about a favorite whip? Slapjack. <laughs> All right. Yep, two out of three. Yep, two. That's pretty good. I'm seeing a theme here. <laughs> um, look, you mentioned that like whatever the opposite of a main event is, this is it. I, I beg to differ because <laughs> when we get to our next match, it is Sonny Ono and the Cat versus Perry Satin and Kaz Hayashi. <laughs> now... What, a, what no a run of three matches on a pay-per-view that people paid $50 for. Now, look, I know that we are absolutely shit-canning this at the moment, but 
All my first note is how did Saturn end up here after his war with the flock? I wrote the same thing. I said would have been good if if Saturn had a real match after the amazing story with Raven and basically stealing the show a couple of months ago. Here he is with Kaz Hayashi, who at this point no one's heard of, and probably in 2022, most people haven't heard of. The mm. Sunny Ono and the Cat. And poor Kaz Hayashi is a really good wrestler, but he's treated like he's not a wrestler. He's treated on like the stat level of Sunny Ono. Anytime yeah. he tags in, he literally can't do a move. He might as well be a manager. Like he's on overall 45, you know, like <laughs> in the game. He has no stats. Uh, it is not good. It's a very poor match. Perry Satin and Sonny Ono go at it. And um, just quickly, Sonny Ono gets the win after a kick to the head. And Perry Satin, after defeating the flock single-handedly, going to war for months with Raven and his cronies and having that awesome story arc of being kicked out of the flock and liberating some of the flock and all of this stuff. He even dragged a great match. I would go back to watch that match against Lodi. 60 mm. times rather than watch this one. So he even really had two good guy. pay-per-view matches with Goldberg to help get yep. Goldberg over. Well, like he had yep. a really good 98 once he got to WCW and yeah. Now this. Yeah. It's, it's, it's crazy. Um, next up is Chris Jericho, WCW.com, the little desk. It's not really much to say about that. It's just a pretty short segment. Yeah. Nothing, to, nothing to write home about there. Next up, it is Hubertu Guerrero, who is the ch uh, Cruiserweight Champion versus Kidman. And he, this is where we see, uh, for the first time on pay for you, the Latino World Order, the LWO. And uh, the LWO, led by Eddie Guerrero. Um, so Eddie comes out, and there's a bit of argument as Ray and Hoovy argue over something that's not quite clear. Yeah, we don't really know. So Hoovy comes <laughs> out. He's part of the LWO. They mentioned he's the newest member. And Eddie and Ray come out, and Ray, I think, is annoyed that Hoovy is getting the title shot over him. But, but he's Ray, the champion. Like, yeah, something the champion? like that. Like, he wanted the match or something, and maybe they got muddled up in the promo. The only Very good weird. thing about the promo, I'll say, is that we're seeing even more charisma from Eddie Guerrero. He's yes. Still, he's still got the American accent, as he would <laughs> for a couple more years, but we're seeing the first seeds of, like, classic Eddie Guerrero, I guess. Did you find it funny that that mean Gene Oakland's the one that's like, wait a minute, Hoobie! Hoobie's got an LWO shirt on! <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, I, actually, another another thing to note, in, in the crowd, two months in a row, there's a sign, Hoovy is groovy. It's catching on. So, it is catching on. I, don't, I can't believe they never put it on a t-shirt. I can't be I can't believe that because I always thought that Hoover Ted Guerrero got popular like towards ninety nine. I didn't realize it was this early in the piece that he was getting over super fast. And you're right. The minute his mask comes off, people love him. He, he's it, like you can take the two examples of Rey Mysterio and Hooventude Guerrero for Hoovy, hundred percent at work. I think it's mm -hmm. better. Yeah. Um, so Hoovy and Kidman lock up. Uh, it's actually a pretty decent match. Um, yeah. Hoovy throws Kidman into the other ring and does a double springboard over it. It, it. I love this match because it does make use of the three rings. And uh, there's a there's a crazy crossbody off the turnbuckle on ring two into ring one by Kidman. It, it's The way that they use the three rings is remarkable. Yeah, I would absolutely recommend watching this match. Uh, in terms of a match with the three rings, like you said, these guys put it to use. They do a bunch of cool spots. I was a little bit iffy when Hoovy went for the double double ring 
springboard drop kick because he <laughs> kind of lost his balance and kicked Kidman square in the nuts. <laughs> but they recovered there, like you said. They do the great cross body. And then Hoovy even makes up for it with a double jump top rope Hurricane Rana from mm. one turnbuckle to the other ring. And then the match kicks up another high gear, bunch of near falls, and it's really, really good. Honestly, Kidman, since breaking up for, from the flock, is killing it. And Hoovy without the mask is killing it. I love that this Kidman basically is the exact same like character and wrestler till mid two thousand. Like it's he just like feuds oh. with um you know Hulk Hogan. Hulk Hogan, yeah. Oh geez, that was. Well, I can't wait to get to that part. New Blood Rising is going to be a very fun baby mm. to cover when we uh, when we get to two thousand. So and here's the thing: Rey Mysterio comes out. Um, he. He comes out to interview. He hangs on to Hoover to Guerrero's tights on the from um hang on, what happens here? Yeah. So he hangs on to Kidman's tights to stop a hurricane runner that um Hoover to Guerrero's about to do. Mm. This costs Hoovy the match because then he falls off, loses his balance. Kidman does the shooting star press, and we got a brand new cruiserweight champion here. The LWO is out and they are livid. Yeah, this was a, a great segment too. So the LWO, which is made up of all the Latino cruiserweights, that's how it was formed. You know, they wanted to mm. band together. They all surround Ray. And what's funny about it, why would Ray have even joined the LWO? That was kind of the story. He was kind of a reluctant member. He was forced into joining and he leaves right away because mm. Eddie's like, you better make the right choice, Ray. And Ray <laughs> rips the shirt off, obviously. But then the crowd goes nuts. Ray bolts to the ring. He absolutely <laughs> legs it down the aisle and the LWO run him off. And it's a good segment and a good match. This is one of the highlights of the whole show. The best way I can describe Ray Mysterio running away is like, when you were in primary school, did you ever play Gang Up Tiggy? You know, where <laughs> where everyone's it and there's only one person left? That's what it looked like. <laughs> I never played that, but wow, that sounds fun. <laughs> um, coming up to our next match it is Bobby Duncan Jr. versus Chris Jericho with Ralphus now before we even get to the match did you notice this little bit of production uh, and commentary from Tony Schiavone where he says World War 3 3 rings 60 men David Penzer talk <laughs> that's great that's, that's pretty good he obviously had nothing and he just went for basics Wait, oh, no, no. Our next match isn't Jericho and Bobby Duncan Jr. Isn't it? You're skipping two two matches here. Did you fall asleep? You're kidding. Scott, what have I missed? Scott Steiner and Buff Bagwell. Oh, my God. I must have completely blitzed through that one. <laughs> oh, Jesus. <laughs> to be fair, it's not a real match. There you go. So what happens? <laughs> this, is a, this is a world first. <laughs> Your eyes must have glazed over for, for a good 10 minutes. Oh my so God. Scott Steiner and Buff Bagwell are out, along mm. with a new NWO referee, a guy wearing a striped shirt, a little <laughs> propeller hat, and a whistle. And I was like, who's this guy? I barely remember this in 98. I looked it up for the TNA fans, and I can't believe you didn't pick this up nims it was none other than famous tna referee slick johnson he was a part of the nwo for a little bit i couldn't even remember this do you want to know what the best part of this is because what? the minute you the minute you said the nwo referee now like now 
all of a sudden there's a big chunk of the main event notes that I've got to just rub out because I'm like, who the hell is this referee? (laughs) (laughs) Well, we we rolled through it. So I'll set it up then. So this is Rick Steiner versus Scott Steiner. For those who missed it. I can't believe they did Scott versus Rick again, even though they ended it perfectly at the last pay-per-view. One of the best things on the show, Rick gets revenge. He becomes the tag champion on his own, beats up the NWO. So they're going to run it back here. The match doesn't happen because the NWO beat up Rick backstage. They throw him in the ring. The bell rings because of the dodgy NWO ref. And then after about two minutes, Goldberg comes out. He beats up Scott Steiner. He beats up the giant. He beats up the NWO ref. And then Goldberg just um, poses with Rick Steiner. There's no ending to the match. There's no match. The crowd definitely enjoyed it, though. They enjoyed Goldberg killing everyone. But just the pointless segment. So anyway, that's what you and everyone... So, so pointless that I just completely glossed miss, over wait, it. Hold on. There's actually another match before Duncan and Jericho. I I I, I <laughs> what did you miss? I have literally gone from Joe and Kidman to Bobby Duncan Jr. We're gonna have to do an extra episode one day, the missing notes of World Oh War my War. god, because this the is next like, match was... look, it literally goes from LWO to Bobby Duncan. Wow, what on you must have watched an uh, like a special director's cut to save time. The next uh, match was Scott Hall versus Kevin Nash. Jeez Louise. Oh my god. But again, here's what I want to say. It's interesting that you missed these two matches. This also wasn't a match. So Hall and Nash come out. Again, they're following up what they did uh, at Halloween Havoc. Nash is, uh, sorry, Scott Hall is with all the NWO B team losers. Nash comes out and the NWO losers beat up Scott Hall. So that's where we're at now. The NWO has turned on Scott Hall. Why didn't he just join the wolf pack in the first place anyway they beat him up and it's justified because they say on nitro scott hall accidentally punched bischoff yep so anyway the match never starts nash runs out he saves scott hall he beats up the whole nwo there's a massive outsiders chant it's a cool moment and in my head i'm like oh i don't remember this this is really good this must have been some cool thing Scott Hall, great acting from him, great acting from Kevin Nash. Hall's all remorseful and stuff. He puts up the two sweet, and Kevin Nash just refuses it and walks away. And then they just cut the camera there. So anyway, two non-finishes in a row. So this pay-per-view was three jabroni (laughs) matches, one good cruiserweight (laughs) match, and then two non-matches. And an anchoring of Perry Satin, who's on the hot streak. <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> that's where we're at. So now and, we can continue where you were up to. Let's and, not forget and, this one. <laughs> I cannot believe that I have completely blanked through two matches. <laughs> I don't know what happened there, but uh, remember, it's a reminder that I do breakfast radio hours. So. <laughs> yeah. So I can't believe that. That's so good. So that must that must mean my brain has just got. Uh, like yeah, so at the end of the I, I've just been like that's a great cruiserweight match it took too much out of you were you watching it in one sitting no two sittings oh I really want to know how this even happened it's amazing I want to know anyway. how that happened too um I'm guessing maybe when I hit play on on part two because that kind of seems about the midway after <laughs> after uh Billy Kid maybe that's what happened anyway, anyway. The, the network did you a favor, a favor. <laughs> 
Uh, let's get to Bobby Duncan Jr. and uh, Chris Jericho with Ralphus. World War Three, three rings, sixty men. David Penzer, talk is what uh, Tony Schiavone says at the start of this. Now, Bobby Duncan Jr. I only like his biggest claim to fame is, of course, being part of the West Texas Rednecks because he was just basically there in WCW. But this is actually a pretty decent match because it's two mixed styles because you got the power of Bobby Duncan and Chris Jericho, who's still in his high flying style at the moment. Like, remember, he's still a cruiserweight here. And it, it's, it always amuses me this version of Chris Jericho because. He like it's it's completely different to what we all know and love now. Like if you watch, if you saw anyone that's watching AEW now and show them an old Chris Jericho WCW match, they think it was a different person. Yeah, they might be shocked to see how uh, how good he was physically at the high flying stuff and everything else. Jericho's great here. He's with Ralphus. It's a really fun gimmick. Oh, yeah, Bobby Duncan Jr. His music, another Jimmy Hart classic. This time, it's a piss take of hit to be squared did you notice that which is so weird for a cowboy character i don't know how they assign these songs but it was pretty good um see here's what i'm gonna say you blanked out for the last two matches so you thought this was pretty good i had Mm. to sit through the last (laughs) i just wrote what a boring match this is hard to pay attention to and then i my next note is why is this so long i swear this match was like a 30 minute main event at wrestlemania <laughs> it, it, look it, the funny thing is i think it actually goes for about 20 odd minutes or so so it is a pretty long match why i don't know <laughs> yeah, but there, in fact there is even a bit in there where the camera is because I, i'm guessing because of the three ring setup they can't quite get their angles like they want to but there is a bit where um so Jericho has got Bobby Duncan Jr. in the corner and he's absolutely going to town on him. And you could see him call the move. Like I'm <laughs> yeah, talking yeah. straight up. It's just like, and then all of a sudden they swap. It's just like, what is going on here? But it's a, it's an interesting clash of styles. But Bobby Duncan Jr. is preoccupied with Ralphus and uh, also nails him with the TV title. And that's nails the referee it. too. Nails the referee, sorry. Yeah. With, with the belt, he somehow hits... Bobby Duncan Jr. and the referee, and the referee has to pretend that it didn't hit him. Yep. <laughs> it's, so, it's it's such a weird little thing. Like, this reign of Chris Jericho is... Uh, he even does... Like, he, he goes through the greatest hits. Don't get me wrong. You know, the cocky pin, the come on, baby, all that sort of stuff. He's doing his best. But, um, yeah, it's it's a match that you're not going to put down in the Jericho Hall of Fame classics, I can tell you that. No, and I do want to say, though, this was an interesting thing to think about. So Bobby Duncan Jr., Prince Iakea, feel similar. These two second-generation guys that WCW were like, this is the future of wrestling. We're going to push these guys. We're going to give them half an hour on pay-per-view for no reason. Think (laughs) about the second and third generation people that WWE is pushing at the exact same time. So... WCW is pushing Prince Iakea and Bobby Duncan Jr. at Survivor Series. The Rock was just crowned world champion. Road Dog <laughs> is tag team champion. Jeff Jarrett is killing it. So when it comes to picking generational, you know, offspring, WWE is doing a better job in 1998. Yeah, and and, and like we we've mentioned this before, but WWF is like so different from when we first started doing this podcast whereas wcw 
There's re- there's a little bit of sprinkling that's different, but pretty much it's all the same. But uh, we're finally here to the meat and potatoes off the pay-per-view. It is World War Three prior to the main event. But hey, look, the <laughs> WWF have started off with the Royal Rumble before uh, at the Royal Rumble pay-per-view, so we're, we're not we're not completely uh, um, get all into this. But so the rules differ a little bit from a Royal Rumble because you th- you don't have to be thrown over the top rope exclusively. You can be thrown over the top rope or through the ropes. That's a, an elimination as well. And can you get pinned as well? Was, did they mention that? They do. You can get pinned, thrown through the ropes, thrown over the ropes, and you can submit. Were these always the rules? To I, don't, I don't think they were. It doesn't feel like it. I feel like it was over the top rope. Um, yeah. <laughs> But look, one thing that I did find very, very uh, amusing this time around is so everyone came out in alphabetical order. Did you notice that? Until did Perry they? Satin comes no, out. I didn't notice that. Because because I was just like, Alex Wright's out first. This is pretty good for him. Then it's like, Alex Wright's out. Then it's like, uh, it goes to the A, Bs, the Cs. Then Perry Satin just comes out. Then Eddie Guerrero. And it's just uh, like. You know, they just gave up. They're not going <laughs> to put that much work in. I just quickly looked it up while we were talking then. So the rules were changed multiple years in a row. Originally, in order to be eliminated, uh, you had to be thrown over the top rope, both feet touched the floor. Then in 97, they allowed eliminations if a person leaves the ring in any way. Mm-hmm. Um, because, of course, they did the the Kevin Nash-Scott Hall ending. Um, and then in 98, the rules were amended again to allow the counting of pinfalls and submissions. So they didn't even keep tradition. They just changed the rules as they went. Yeah. Uh, if there was a World War Three, nineteen ninety nine, I wonder what they would do then. <laughs> um, we're adding a fourth ring. <laughs> now these entrances just take forever, uh, and the World War Three theme, the video game sort of generic music that was from the intro, just loops endless times. Mm-hmm. It it seriously takes forever because each sixty man, like it, they don't even do the thing where all the jobbers come out first together. Then one NWO, then the Horseman. It's just literally everyone in a row in alphabetical order, bar Perry Satin. (laughs) It's also bad because it highlights how much filler is in this match. There's Mm. about 20 decent wrestlers and then, you know, 40 absolute losers that you would never see on TV. Yeah. Yeah, like Cyclope and Silver King and just all of these dudes come out. Johnny Kaz Flash. Kaz Hayashi yeah, <laughs> comes names. out as well. Um, yep. I've just written down, I've just written down, these are just ring fodder. <laughs> 100%. A few guys get a good reaction, as you'd expect. i got a highlight, as usual. Lex Luger. Huge mm-hmm. pop for Lex Luger. Yeah. And Lex, this time around, looks like he's actually got ring gear this time. Not just jeans or whatever. Yeah, I, I like that. I like I like the idea that in uh, World War Three, ninety ninety seven, he was just like, "Nah, stuff this, mate. I'll just, yeah, just get me in, okay. get me to the last couple, and <laughs> then we'll start wrestling, okay? But I'm not putting on tights and baby oil for this. No. Um, now um, you get a dry Lex Luger when it's a battle royal. <laughs> when he knows the spotlight isn't on him, he's like, "I'm not putting baby oil for this." Yeah, it's like, yeah, what do you what do you think I am? <laughs> Jesus. Um, now at one. Big, big benefit. It doesn't look like they're doing, they don't do the three ring split screen that just made it tiny and impossible to keep track of everything. They alternate between rings and it actually labels ring one, ring two, ring three, which is fantastic. Um, Kevin Nash is in ring three and goes absolutely to town. He just clears out pretty much everyone. And it does seem like it's a much 
less clunky uh, World War Three than last year. Yeah, I will give him credit. Uh, whoever decided the fact that one ring should completely clear in the space of about 20 seconds, genius move. Kevin Nash goes absolutely bonkers. He goes Royal Rumble 1995 <laughs> Diesel style. He eliminates, I think they said, 13 people in 40 seconds. Whatever yep. it is, I was so happy because I thought this was going to drag like the other World War Three matches. But he clears it. It's entertaining to see him just shit can everyone. And it gets <laughs> yeah. the match moving at least to the next stage very quick. We should have pointed out too, yes. Yeah, so there's a little counter in the bottom uh, left of the screen too, because once the 60 men get down to 20, everyone then moves into one ring and then it becomes like a, basically a battle royal. Or is it a battle royal slash World War Three rules with pinfall submission? Whatever whatever happens is when it gets to 20 men, they all move into one ring. Simple as that. Um, so that's one ring cleared. I, I did appreciate the fact that, you know, there is mini stories like trying to the pile on on the on the giant in ring number one. It's it's actually pretty decent the way that they do it. They they do trim the fat pretty quickly. Yeah, absolutely. There's a few fun spots too in there as they're like breaking down the roster. Everybody jumping on giant. They do it a few times. Crowd goes crazy for it. So they're definitely mm. paying attention to the match which yep. definitely helps. And you see a few stories, the NWO breaking off, the Wolfpack breaking off. So this one definitely moves better than the other World War Three matches. I'm actually surprised this was the last one because I know it's faint praise, but I thought this was the best World War Three match we've seen. Yeah, it seems like they're, they're finally figuring out mm. the, um, the way that it's sort of going. And it's weird because this pay-per-view is replaced by Mayhem, uh, as in like WCW Mayhem, the the pay per view, which was also the same name, I'm getting some real Stevie Ray slapjack vibes here, <laughs> because it was because WCW Mayhem came out to coincide with the release of the video game WCW Mayhem, mm. which also came out with the music CD WCW Mayhem. There you go, slapjack, <laughs> slapjack in it. That's it. It's just a very lazy trademark uh, department of WCW. It is. Ironically, though, World War Three is in the video game WCW Mayhem, but just as one ring. So, yeah, what what's the point of that? No one is playing World War Three for one ring. Yeah, um, one I've written down here: the last thirteen men is the definition of trimming the fat. Although Wrath and Booker T make it to the big table, that's actually a good sign for them because it shows mm. that aside from the NWO, you know that type of wrestler, Booker T and Wrath were seen as Two prospects, which I think yep. is good. I, I, I was, I've said this to you before, and I'm pretty sure I said it in the last episode and even off air. I can't remember Wrath being this over. I yeah. honestly thought, I honestly thought that Brian Clark left the WWE, came to WCW, shut the bed, uh, and then it was only when he became part of Chronic that he became popular again. I don't know. Maybe I've blocked out the Wrath part. Maybe the Mortal Kombat fan in me was just so <laughs> enraged. That he was burly, uh, burly, <laughs> burly <villager>. citizen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But um, another one too. Another thing, uh, important bit to note: Bam Bam Bigelow is here as well, and Goldberg runs out to stop him. Did you find it funny that Goldberg went to the wrong way to get? Uh, Goldberg to try and stop went him? around the wrong way of the ring because there's three rings, and once he committed to go on one side, he couldn't loop back around. He looked like an <laughs> idiot, so he just does a full lap of three rings. Can I just say though? This got one of the biggest reactions of the whole night. 
And part of me was kind of thinking, wow, did they not see the reactions and maybe consider doing Bam Bam and Goldberg as the main event of Starcade? I wonder if that mm. was ever considered. Because Bam Bam had a great run in uh, ECW after leaving Huge. the WWE. He had just left. This was a big signing. Bam Bam jumping to WCW, not in the obvious way. He wasn't part of the NWO. He wasn't involved in their storyline. He was like another outsider. You know, he's not affiliated with anyone and he's jumping Goldberg. I think they had something here. He still had some currency too, because yeah. like it's he's still relatively fresh. Like he didn't really burn out in WWF. He just sort of no. like just fell down the ladder. Remember, he main evented a WrestleMania. Like, technically, he's got a WrestleMania main event under his belt. So he's he was main highly regarded. the first yeah. Survivor Series of all time yeah. as well. Like, Bam Bam yeah. has just had these weird moments in his career where it really looked like he could have been an even bigger star than he was. He was still yes. good here in the late yeah. 90s. Guest star in Major Pain as well. Absolutely. And Damon <laughs> Wayans kicks the crap out of him. Um, now, th this is what I found um, really cool too as well. So you're, you're fully right. I've never actually thought about that, especially when you do the math, because he does get a good run in 99 WCW before Vince Russo gets there. And I'm shocked that Vince Russo didn't rocket strap this guy. What did he do with him? He put him in the Jersey triad, I guess, mm. with DDP and uh, Canyon. Yeah. Which isn't bad, but yeah, no, I don't know. It feels like, yeah, maybe Bam Bam, Bam Bam felt like maybe he was finally going to get that run in WCW, but it still still doesn't happen. Yeah. Um, now, they do the, the spot where everyone uh, teams up on the Giant again in the, uh, in the usual sort of uh, ring. Hall, Nash, and Luger are the final five. Uh, hang on, wait. Final three, sorry which I thought was pretty interesting because it's Wolfpack versus Wolfpack and Scott Hall there as well. Um, we see, you know, the little, I don't want to say like, you know, the, the, the Wolfpack explodes. It's, it's a battle Royal. That's, they're just kind of like, all right, each man for himself, the chicken dance. We see the chicken dance from Lex Luger, massive pop. He, he racks Hall and then Nash dumps them both out, which is a great finish. Cause you can sort of do the, Hey man, look, I didn't kind of eliminate you. We're still cool in the Wolf Pack, but it also it it's a perfect way to win for Kevin Nash, and he's the number one contender for Goldberg's title at Halloween at um at Starcade '98. Yeah, a great finish and a great little story at the end. Considering what I watched with Hall and Nash that you missed <laughs> with the little possible reunion, it was like which side is Nash going to choose? His old friend Scott Hall or his new Wolf Pack friend Lex Luger? Well, he doesn't pick a side. He dumps them both at the same time. Kevin Nash ran wild, you know, eliminating a whole ring. He won the the match in the end, and he did it in his hometown of Detroit. Gets a giant pop. And again, honestly, maybe the best World War Three match. Not even a bad match on this show. Uh, well, I suppose, again, considering what we've seen, this wasn't <laughs> bad at all. This is, this is hands down. I know there's only three that we can pick from, but this is the best World War Three match. Mm. And you can sort of see why they didn't do it again because the concept is just really, really flawed. But they made chicken they made chicken salad out of chicken shit with mm. this one. Yeah. Pretty easy to put that way. Uh, next up, it is our main event. Michael Buffer is out using his usual Michael Buffer spiel. But there is a lot less waffle this time around. When Hogan and Savage aren't there, he seems to like, 
put the put the uh, skates on a bit, doesn't he? Yep, yep. Oh, possibly the greatest wrestler of all time. This man is known around the world for snapping into Slim Jims, whereas here, <laughs> Diamond Dallas Page is the master of the diamond cutter. <laughs> <That's it. laughs> yeah, yeah. I will say though, Michael Buffer asking the crowd, "Are you ready?" They were not. <laughs> no, the no they, were. <laughs> they were not ready this time. <laughs> So um, this is peak WC. I, I didn't realize like how quickly, well, not really. It's taken Brett about a year when we think about it to find WCW Brett, you know, the pink pants and the Howard Stern glasses. Like, <laughs> and when you like, we, even though we sort of say like, oh, wow, I can't believe that they put him in the main event. Like this is his first WCW main event. It kind of makes sense that it's a year on from when he actually just under a year from when he joined WCW. Oh, yeah, that could be their thinking. I wonder if they were thinking, ooh, it's November. Everyone's thinking Survivor Series. Everyone's still, you know, Montreal is fresh on the mind, one-year anniversary. Did they put bread in the main event for that? Who knows? Can I just say, Buffer also mentions that Bret Hart is a two-time US champ. When? (laughs) I don't remember any of it. Yeah. It must have been like hotshot on Nitro because... He's never had the belt on pay-per-view. We haven't seen him with the belt on pay-per-view, have we? If he has, we both fell asleep for the matches. <laughs> yeah, because he takes on Sting in the last pay-per-view. And maybe, maybe that was for the US title and we just No, it wasn't. Care. That was that was a that was a grudge match for the like who does the sharpshooter better. <laughs> and then he wasn't on the pay-per-view beforehand. So I don't yeah. He must have like won it twice on Nitro, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he's not even in um the last pay per view that I'm looking at. Yeah, he wasn't at Road Wild. It's it's <laughs> okay. I guess he won the title, mm. or it could just be Michael Buffer going. I need something. Uh, <laughs> yeah, this man. Two time. He's a two time television. Ch- now that's people will know that one. Uh, two time US champion. We'll go <laughs> yeah. with that. Yeah, it sounds debatable. He, um, Buffer also says that Brett has an anything goes ring style and attitude. Does he? Anything goes for Bret Hart? I normally don't think that. No, no. Does he even mention that he's the excellence of execution at all? He doesn't. <laughs> I don't think he knows that. <laughs> it's like, dude, the one thing that Bret has been telling people since about 1985, <laughs> and you can't even say that once. And also, anyway, if there's uh, anyone who is the exact opposite of anything goes, it's Bret. Because only <laughs> certain things go in every <laughs> facet of his life. <laughs> Definitely uh, not for anything. It, it is it is crazy stuff here. Uh, so, as I said, Buffer Waffle is back. Uh, the action starts on the outside, which is something different. And it sort of paints into DDP's character. Because DDP, I don't want to say that he's, he was a loose cannon, but he was that, he was a, he was a loose, not like, um, not like a Brian Pillman sort of loose cannon, but he was an explosive sort of dude. Yeah, and, you know, he liked to fight and brawl. He starts with a plancher. They fight on the outside of the ring. Um, they go around at one point though, something is happening further in the crowd. And when they roll back in the ring, the crowd is watching something else. And then they all start booing. I don't know (laughs) what was happening, but it must've been more interesting than this match because they started hot and I thought, oh, this is going to be a fun brawl. Maybe they're going to try like a Brett and Austin type match here um, with DDP and, you know, Brett's going to lead him through it. It is not. They get in the ring and this slows down to an absolute snail's pace for the rest of the match. Yeah. There's a tombstone on Brett by DDP. 
And Brett is trying his absolute hardest to channel 1997 heel mode, but it's a, it's almost like a, a budget version of 97 heel Brett at the moment. Yeah. The crowd is not there for any of it. Brett, and it's weird. Brett as a heel in 97 wouldn't outright cheat. Like he would a little bit, or, you know, maybe the Hart Foundation would get involved, but it always felt like Brett either snuck out the wind somehow, or, you know, he'd beat him with a roll up or whatever. But here, or he, he'd have a way to justify what his heelish works. Well, exactly. Like SummerSlam 97, Sean hit Undertaker with the chair. Brett's just yeah. going to pin him. Hey, you did yeah. it, Sean, you know. But yeah, here, count the pin. <laughs> count the pin. That's part of the rules. In this match, Brett does like a gimmicky thing where, oh, we had knuckle brass knucks and the mm. ref took them. And then Brett will get them later when the ref's knocked out. It's like, ah, oh, who, who wanted to see this from Brett? I don't know. There is actually, yeah, when we say that Brett takes the, because so there's a ref bump with Charles Robinson and Brett Hart actually goes through Charles Robinson's pockets to yeah. get the knucks. <laughs> It's just, yeah, exactly. That feels like some old hokey stuff that Brett That's would never Scooby go Doo for. Stuff. Yeah, exactly. And he like does a real, you know, like dramatic yeah, like pull a, of the nuts. I will say though, at one point, DDP, we have to give like no credit when no credit is due. DDP does one of the worst sharpshooters. Sharpshooters? Yes. <laughs> oh my God. It is the, this is now. Go back, when we were talking at the start of this match, we mentioned, oh, were they thinking 97 Survivor Series? It's a year since. I reckon at this point in time, because part of me just went, surely they don't do this, do they? <laughs> they do. <laughs> oh, my stars. Yeah. So the, it is really, though, the worst sharpshooter on earth. Like It makes The Rock look like Bret Hart. Like That's how bad this sharpshooter is. Well, let's never criticize the Rock's sharpshooter again. After seeing this one from DDP and a bunch of people in AEW try it over the past <laughs> year for some reason, we've seen some terrible sharpshooters. It is crazy. It is absolutely crazy. So here's here's the part where you will uh, you will uh, find amusing. DDP gets a chair, but Charles Robinson stops him. Who is the NWRF? Question mark. <laughs> How could you not know? As the TNA fan. <laughs> <laughs> so page gets the belt and uh he gets a belt shot he submits but mickey J is out to uh to, to right the wrongs of all of the nwo shenanigans which was interesting because they did a montreal screw job where like ddp didn't tap out but it's brett getting the win so it's almost like now you should hate brett for doing a screw job to someone else weird i don't know mm. but then, like, talk, talk about rubbing salt in the wound, because then Brett loses with a diamond cutter. He does, because little Nate gets back up and counts the three after a diamond cutter. I will say, those last 10 seconds were the most exciting part of the match. <laughs> Mickey J waving off the count from Slick Johnson and saying, no, no, it's not a title change, and DDP hitting the cutter and then the pinfall. Those 10 seconds, very good. Everything else, <laughs> terrible. And also... Bobby Heenan at the end of the match saying, Saddam Hussein, you missed a heck of a war. I had to rewind it and put captions on because I was like, did he say what I thought he said? Yes, Saddam Hussein, you missed a heck of a war, whatever that means. Oh, geez, Bobby the Brain. Sometimes just maybe just don't say anything, Bobby. <laughs> yeah. So that's it. We then see a ad for Starcade 98, which is next. It is going to be Kevin Nash versus... Goldberg for the WCW championship. 
I've when we talk about our final thoughts, I've come up with uh, a little theory that I've noticed since we watched it. Ever since they started co-branding the pay-per-views as WCW NWO, we've not seen a good pay-per-view. <laughs> You're probably right. That's an interesting one. Is that the true downfall? Like, think about it. Can you That's think a fun like because maybe Halloween Havoc? No, no, no. Halloween Havoc '97. He's just WCW, yeah. One of the worst. <laughs> oh, sorry, 97. I thought you were going to say Halloween Havoc 98. Yeah, because I'm trying, because I think it's just 98 where they start doing co-branded WCW and WO. But anyway, yeah, it's, look, it is what it is. Simple as that. <laughs> yeah, I, I will say that Starcade commercial at the end of the pay-per-view, I almost turned it off. And then I thought, nah, let me watch it. It's one of the funniest ads ever. If you, if there was like a bad TV movie that had a parody commercial for pro wrestling, it would be this Starcade ad where it's yep. Goldberg in like Roman Coliseums and the voiceover is like, this man has run rampage through. It, it's just the worst thing ever. It's so good. <laughs> and then I love that they say the man they call Goldberg. That's just his name. You can't say the man they call insert real name like yeah exactly the man they call sting makes sense sting's clearly not his real name the yeah. man called sting or you know the man they call sting or whatever the man they call goldberg that's just yeah. his name yeah when he goes to get his license renewed they call him goldberg <laughs> yeah. like... <laughs> uh we've got a license for the one we call goldberg, goldberg. <laughs> his last name <laughs> Yeah, it's it's very, very it, you're right. It is one of those like you half expect him to sort of like like break the fourth wall and go, and I'll see you on December 25th at the Astrodome or something <laughs> yeah. like that. You know what it's what it's almost like. Remember that uh viral prank call the, oh, the John Cena one. John Cena. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's basically taking the piss out of this Starcade ad. It is absolutely spot on there. I just did a little bit of quick Googling. So the last WCW only brand, like WCW Starcade 97 is the last WCW only. From sold out 98, all of the 98 papers are WCW NWO. Insert name here. Yeah, You were going to say Uncensored, weren't you? Yeah. Because of the the ad (laughs) and the song. (laughs) Remember, rules are for fools. (laughs) Yeah. All right, well, let's run through this because well, who is the MVP here? Because it's going to be so hard to pick this one. Now nah, you know I'm what? Gonna say, yeah, I was going to say I think it's easy. Kevin Nash. You were going to say Kevin? Oh, there you go. Well, you did see more of Kevin Nash than I did. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I was going to say Eddie Guerrero because that was clearly he was clearly the thread that was through the best match here out of the best character arc and made you care about something that I did not care a lot about <laughs> in this paper. You clearly, as I missed two matches. Look, okay, Eddie Guerrero, I see that. I see your point of view. I'm going to take Kevin Nash. <laughs> the other option, in just in terms of getting the reaction and like the crowd loving it, is Goldberg. But it yeah. doesn't count. He didn't have a match. <laughs> and, and we should also mention, too, that... um. I've 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 gone to Google uh the next WWF pay-per-view and I've just wrote WWF C A for Capital Carnage. And the first thing that's come up is WWF Carbon Footprint. Oh what? okay, that sounds sounds like I, could be a good show. But I I think that's a World Wildlife Federation <laughs> thing. So. But but look, going back to, to Starcade, um not Starcade, going back to World War Three, nineteen ninety eight, we've mentioned it a couple of times that like 
the rudders off and WCW is a little bit aimless here. You don't have Hogan. It's 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 a fresh WCW pay for you in the sense that you don't have Hogan. Mm. You don't have uh, Roddy Piper. There's no Ric Flair. There's not even any horsemen. No at Savage. All. The four yeah. old dudes are good. Uh, are gone. It's not good. Yeah. yeah. So all of the main event talent, like really, it's it's the quote unquote next gen. <laughs> and when that's DDP, <laughs> like, you, like it's a bit. We you mentioned it before. You got the Rock and Mankind on the other channel, main eventing a pay per view. And the coronation of an all-new main event and a mm. new chunk of storyline to lead you to WrestleMania. Meanwhile, you've got the 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 setup for a pay-per-view that's next month that's kind of like, oh, yeah, well, he's taking on Goldberg. Yeah, well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> it's That's the difference. I'm just trying to Google their age. DDP was 42 in 1998. Oh, it's mind-boggling. Uh, and Bret Hart, who is... Who, uh, this is the Bret Hart, like a shell of his old great self that we saw in 1997 WWF. Oh my god, what's even funnier about it? Bret Hart is a year younger than DDP. Oh my god. So Bret was 41, which honestly, to be fair, the the scary thing is most modern day main eventers in 2022 are that age, but that was considered old back then. The Rock broke the world, the WWE record for being the youngest champion ever at Survivor Series. And we've got two 40-year-old guys main, main eventing World War Three. Yeah. And um, Mick uh, and Foley, not... who was considered old in the WWE, who would, you know, retire two years later. He was only like 32. That's crazy. Yeah. That is crazy, especially when you consider that, like, he had a, st- a great second stanza with, like, Randy Orton and Edge uh, later on in the mid to- in the yeah. Ruthless Aggression era. Yeah. That's, that's, just, that's just absolutely Mick, bonkers. Mick Foley was 33. And by this point, he had, you know, only hit, he's only hitting his peak as a young man. These guys are 10 years older on the other channel. Not only that, too, that's even more bizarre that he's considered old now, especially considering the fact that AJ Styles passed 35 before he even made it to the WWE. Yep. That's old. crazy. Yeah. The numbers game. But- we haven't played it in a while. <laughs> but yeah, look, you see the two completely different things. Now we got a double shot of WWF pay-per-views coming up. Uh next it is Capital Carnage, which was a UK only pay-per-view. This one's an interesting one because it's uh main evented by Stone Cold Steve Austin in a fatal four-way match with Gerald Briscoe as a special guest referee and the big boss man as a special guest enforcer. This is real house show vibes because it's the the WWF Championship is defended. The Rock has to defend his belt against X Park. <laughs> That's probably going to be awesome. Like I, I'm kind of interested to see it because yeah, it's not going to be a real show. It's no. basically a glorified our show, but we'll do it as a bonus, as a bonus Christmas present. Yeah, so you'll get uh, Capital Carnage and Rock Bottom coming up. Then we will dissect Starcade 1998. But do yourself a favor and go back and check the out, check out the entire archives. At the very least, skip the WCW episodes because they just, 98 was not good for WCW. You but know, it's, at the, fun, it's fun to talk about. It's hard exactly. to watch the shows. It's fun to talk about. Yeah, so do yourself a favor. Check out the Grey Wolf Entertainment socials. Grey Wolf ENT is where you can find us. On behalf of Simon Tackler, I've been Nims Azor, and we will catch you next time for Reliving the War. (laughs) 
This has been another presentation from the Grey Wolf Entertainment Network. GreyWolfEntertainment.net.